Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Good morning. Y'all doing okay this morning? Good. I know a ton of people are actually gone this week on spring break. That means our live stream room is a lot bigger this morning. So can we uh, just make some noise for people that are watching online and people that are online maybe with COVID, other stuff going on. So good to see you online. Also so great to see everybody that's in the building this morning. If you're new here, I am not the senior pastor of this church. Um, I'm actually the youth pastor and worship pastor. Um, I'm normally up here playing guitar, but I'm switching roles this morning because Pastor Mickey is on vacation and having a great time. Um, so this is not what's normally here. So I just want to let you know that come back next week, um, it'll probably be a lot longer and a lot better. So, but today will be short and sweet more than likely, but we'll see. One time, funny story, I told the students, I was like, students, I promise you, this will be the shortest message I've ever preached. I preach for like 45 minutes. I normally give 15-minute messages. So might have jinxed myself, but we're going to jump right into stuff. And I'm going to change the pace here real quick. There's no easy way to answer that, to ask this question. But I have a question for you that I want you to reflect on for a moment. It's a question that's going to seem kind of off, especially the time of year we're in. Um, but here's the question. Sorry, going to ask it. Where were you on 9-11? Some of you are like, I wasn't even born yet, Pastor Sam. Why are you asking me this question? <laughs> but if you, if you were born at that time in this room, if you remember, I mean, if you were at the age of you can remember, you remember where you were at during that time. Where were you on 9-11? I don't remember much about it. I was all of, uh, I was going to be five in a few weeks, I think, at that point in my life. Um, but I remember it mainly through stories that my parents have told me. And I think I remember a little bit of it because... Um, before it happened, I was having the time of my life. I was actually at Disney World. I was at MGM Studios at Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Uh, I think I was getting my autograph by Buzz Lightyear. And uh, I remember my dad said he was uh, by getting us pop or something. or Sorry, soda. We're down south. He's getting a soda down south uh, by the Indiana Jones show. And he said he came to us and figured out that they're exiting the park. And he came to us and he was worried. He talks about all this stuff going on. But 9-11 was this day that everything changed for everybody. Truthfully, everything changed for everybody in an instant. I mean, people were having the greatest time in the ma most magical place on earth. Their day was ended. I mean, a tragedy happened in New York City. Tragedy happened in Washington, D.C. Tragedy was happening all around us. In an instant, everything changed for everybody. And many times, everything changes for us, but it's very rare that an instant occurs that everybody, everything changes for everybody all at once. So I want to read for you. This isn't a... I'm going to read from you from actually George Bush's memoir, and it's, it's, this is not a political thing. This is just me trying to illustrate this moment for you um, from his own words. And let me read this for you. This is right from the time he woke up at 9-11. It was 8 a.m. He says, around 8 a.m., I received the presidential daily briefing. Let's go back. I'm actually going to go a little earlier. On Tuesday, September 11th, I woke before dawn in my suite at the Colony Beach in Tennis Resort near Sarasota, Florida. I started the morning by reading the Bible and then went downstairs for a run. It was pitch black as I began my jog around the golf course. The Secret Service agents had grown accustomed to my ex exercise routine. 
the locals must have found the run in a little dark a little bizarre. Back at the hotel, I took a quick shower, ate a light breakfast, and skimmed the morning papers. The biggest story was that Michael Jordan was coming out of retirement to join the NBA. We all know how that ended up. Other headlines focused on the New York mayoral primary and suspected case of mad cow disease in Japan. I'm going to skip forward a little bit. And he talks about how his short walk from the motorcade to the classroom, he was going to an elementary school. This is after everything. Karl Rove mentioned that an airplane had crashed into the World Trade Center. That sounded strange. I envisioned a little propeller plane horribly lost. Then Condi called. I spoke to her from a secure phone in the classroom that had been converted into a communication center for the traveling White House staff. She told me the plane that had just struck the Trade Center was not a light aircraft. It was a commercial jetliner. I was stunned that plane must have had the worst pilot in the world. How could he possibly have flown into a skyscraper on a clear day? Maybe he had a heart attack. I told her to stay on top of the situation and asked my communications director to work on a statement promising the full support of our emergency management system. So he greeted their principal with a friendly woman named Gwen Rigel, who introduced me to the teacher, Sandra Daniels, in a room full of second graders. The teacher led the class through a reading drill. After a few minutes, she told the students to pick up their lessons book. I sensed a presence behind me. Andy Card pressed his head next to mine and whispered in my ear, a second plane hit the second tower. He said this pronouncing each word deliberately in his Massachusetts accent, America is under attack. My first reaction was outrage. Someone had dared attack America. They were going to pay. Then I looked at the faces of the children in front of me. I thought about the contrast between the brutality of the attackers and the innocent of those children. Many of like them would soon be counting on me to protect them. I was determined to not let them down. Here's the key part. I saw reporters at the back of the room learning the news on their cell phones and pagers. Pagers, that's funny. Instinct kicked in. I knew my reaction would be recorded and beamed throughout the world. The nation would be in shock. The president could not be. Let me say that again. The nation would be in shock, so the president could not be. If I stormed out hastily, I would scare the children and send ripples of panic throughout the country. I wouldn't have reacted that way. I'm just going to let you know. Like, if I would have figured that out, I, I probably, one, selfishly would have been afraid for my own life and probably tried to get to a secure location. I probably, my face would have I mean, you, you've seen the images of it. Most of you have. I mean, he, he looked concerned, but it was just this, it was just this strong face that he put up. And he could have reacted in so many different ways because a storm was literally happening outside of him. Today, we're going to be talking about storms. And this storm actually looked like fire. I mean, there was literally something happening outside of him. And he reacted by just staying calm in the moment. My question for you today is, how do you react when a storm occurs in your life? What's your initial reaction when fear hits you right in the face? Do you react or do you take a second to think? Do you take a second to pause? Do you take a second to process? Growing up, I was the big brother, so it was my duty every time there was a dark hallway and my sister, who's running media in the back, was walking down the hallway, it was my obligatory duty 
She scared the crap out of her every time she walked in the hallway. I mean, I could be behind a door. I could be in a closet. I could be anywhere. Anywhere. And she could be going in the bed at night. And I'm underneath her bed just scaring her at every single chance possible. That was my job. And our reaction to fear is often what? To jump into scream. <laughs> at least that's what I got out of Ashley. Every time I jump into scream, I could play videos. I should have played some. Videos that I've recorded of me just scaring her over and over and over. Because it's our initial reaction typically when we're faced with fear is to run. It's to jump. It's to scream. But that's not what we saw here. On September 11, 2001. And this man just sat there. And waited. He had the strength to literally just go. Because he understood, you know what, the storm might be happening out there, but the storm can't be happening with me too, because I can't cause to it, i got to calm it. So there's another instant about a storm that displays this question even better than the example I just shared. And it comes from Mark 4, 35. The verse is going to be on the screen. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But there he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Okay, here's where I'm at in this story. So I, I've pondered on this story a lot throughout my life, hearing it through Sunday school to, to even now. I, I've pondered on this story a lot. And initially, I was like, man, these disciples are stupid. Like, they should just have faith. Like, they're so dumb. And then I get to the point where I'm like, all right, they're drowning. Like, I, I'm going to cut them a break. I probably do the same thing. But, but let's think about this for a second. They've already seen Jesus do the miraculous. They already know that he has more power than anyone. They've already seen him do incredible things. So if the man with the most power, the most responsibility, with the most with the most ability to do anything is asleep, that should be a good indication that everything's going to be okay. Let me put it to you this way. If you're on an airplane, and air turbulence start happening, the plane starts to shake, typically you can look at the flight attendant and see that they're calm, and you can go, okay, yeah, this is cool. The moment you might start to panic is if they start panicking. That's when you have a really good indication, okay, this thing might go down. I'm pretty nervous about this. Jesus has the most power out of anyone. He's already healed the sick. He's already done incredible, incredible things. And this man is sleeping on the boat. If the guy that, 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 that literally created the storms... The guy that literally spoke to the earth and the wind and spoke the earth into existence, the man that literally created everything, if he's asleep, man, then I should be okay. But what do we do in our own lives? 
What do we do in our own lives when storms come up to us? What do we do when we start getting sick? What do we do when, when it's our child that's starting to, starting to fall away? Man, what do we do when it's our marriage that's on the rocks? Man, what do we do when depression starts happening in our own lives? We do the same thing. We, we cry and we cry and we cry and we try to wake Jesus up. And here's what we're looking for him to do. We're looking for Jesus to wake up in the panic and to go some mass hysteria. Oh no, there's a storm. Oh, what would have the disciples done if Jesus would have panicked? Newsflash, if he would have panicked, he wouldn't have been God. If he would have been scared, he wouldn't have been almighty and all-powerful. But I'm telling you, whatever situation you're facing in your life, if you're expecting to pray and Jesus to wake up and run around screaming with his head cut off, he ain't going to do it because he's God. He's sat on the throne and he already sees every situation through. Friend, he's got you. He's got you. But let's move past that fact. Let's move past the fact that he shouldn't have called him. Here's what I also don't understand. I heard this the other day, and it blew my mind. How did the disciples hear him? Think about it. How did the disciples hear him? Dylan, can you come up real quick for me? Everybody get up for Dylan. All right, Dylan. If you were asleep and I did this, would have you woken up probably? He probably would have woken up. Okay. But Jesus wasn't asleep in a quiet room like this. It was loud. Let's play, let's play some loud music maybe to demonstrate how loud it would have been. I mean, it is louder than loud. Water is filling the boat. He's shaking over and over. Would that wake you up? No, why? Because the waves and the storm and the music is already so loud. Why, why, how did he wake up? Have you ever thought about this? How did Jesus wake up? Peter, I'm, I'm guessing it was Peter that called him, honestly. If Peter, Dude, wake up. It's so how did he wake up? You can go sit down, thank you. Because Jesus wasn't listening for a noise, he was listening for their heart. He wasn't listening for a sound, he was listening for the heart. I think, I think he could, I think he could hear just the, I think he could hear the depths of his heart more than he could hear his voice. And the second he felt his heart, he moved. Even through his lack of faith, he decided, you know, I love you so much that I'm going to come rescue you anyways. And at the end, he says, still you have no faith because he understood, listen, Dylan, listen, Peter, listen, Simon, whoever, listen, I, I could have, you could have done that yourself. Like, I truly believe disciples could have calmed the storm themselves if they had that faith. But here's the issue. The storm on the outside got on the inside. The storm on the outside all of a sudden got on the inside. It's not about what Jesus spoke to, it's about what he spoke from. He could have spoken to anything, it would have been still in a second. It wasn't about that he spoke to the storm and said, be peace. It was that, 
that he spoke from a place of peace. That while the noise was loud around him, that while the winds were waving, while everything was crashing, while things were, were just going insane, that literally he still had peace inside of him. So my question for you is this, even though the noise on the outside is going crazy, man, even though your life is in turmoil, can you hold your peace? Can you trust that Jesus can give you peace? Or are you swayed in an instant by the storm around you? Matthew 6.31, this is where I get peace from. Matthew 6.31 says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He already knows what you need. He knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. He's got it all covered. Why are we so afraid? And my last point, the greatest noise often comes from ourselves. Even when we get to the quietest places, things seem to be louder than ever that we to try to eliminate the noise with noise. You ever notice that the loudest moments in your life are probably the quietest places? That's for me. It was even last night. I'm laying in bed, and I'm, I'm, my mind is just wandering. And Jace, my wife, can tell, and she's like, Sam, just shut your mind off for a second. Like, just, just, just try and chill for a second. Here's what we do. There's so much noise all around us in our life. Like the things I listed before. Maybe it's our kids. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's our marriage. There's so much noise. And then we get out into the world, and then there's the news, and then there's COVID, and there's this, and there's that, and numbers are up, and numbers are down, and masks work, and masks don't work, and this and that. So that drowns out our other noise. And we're consumed with all that noise. And then you know what we try to do? We get on Facebook to try and to just make something louder than the noise that's already there. Here's what we do. Let me demonstrate this for you. We have noise. In our life. And we think this is so loud. And we're consumed with this noise. And to get away from that noise, we play something louder. Go ahead. Ah. Well, that illustration failed. That's why you don't connect the same Spotify account to two things at once. But listen, if I was playing noise as loud as possible on this, and then I started playing noise as loud as I could on this, you couldn't even hear this because this would be louder than that. 
We just start twisting the dials in our life. Well, man, my marriage is just so loud, so I just got to drown it out by listening to somebody else's marriage. Let's get in their drama. Let's call my friend and gossip about them. That way I'm distracted by this that's going on here. Ooh, let's turn on the news because what's going on in Washington is way more relevant than my own life. So let's turn that up for a while so I don't have to deal with everything I'm dealing with here. Well, let's get on Facebook so I can see what they're dealing with so I don't... You see what I mean? We try to cancel out the noise with other noise. And here's what I don't think. I don't think God wants us to get to a place of silence. Here's what I truly believe. I believe God wants us to get to a place where every bit of noise in our life is drowned out by the noise of truth. And I think one of the greatest tools for this truth is Scripture. So when the noise in my life is fear, Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will withhold you with my righteous right hand. And when I feel weak, 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, this is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults, and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then he is strong. And when the noise all around me says that I'm alone, Deuteronomy 3.16 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. When the noise in my life tells me I have no one around me I can trust, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And in your own ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. When it looks like what I'm facing is impossible. Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me strength. When I don't know where I can turn, Psalm 16, 8 reminds me, if I keep my eyes always on Jesus, with Him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And when the noise of depression is drowning out my joy, Romans 15, 13, even louder says, May the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace and trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, these scriptures, this book, this Bible, God's Word is so much louder. It has so much more power than anything you're facing. And I don't care what you're walking in with today. Can I remind you that you're a child of God and His promises are yes and amen every morning? You can have hope. When we get in spaces like this, when a worship team leads us in worship, we have the ability to literally speak truth, and truth is always louder than lies. So if you can stand with me in this place, I told you you'd be short. But here's the three points I want to let you know today. One, 
He hears your heart. The Bible says when you don't even know what to pray, that the Spirit will intercede for you through groanings. Man, so if you don't even know how to articulate what you're facing today, let me tell you, He knows. He knows. He's listening to your heart. He'll wake up in a second and calm your storm if you'll just cry out to Him. Two, He's already won. You have the authority to speak to your storm through Him. Stop crying because you're getting wet and start shouting because you're going to be dry in a second. And three, you have the ability to drown out every noise that is of lies. I think so often, I can't get past this point. I think there's so many in this room that are just running around a boat hysterically, getting wet, just wanting Jesus to join us in hysteria. He's not going to do it. Can I tell you this lovingly? He's not concerned. He's consumed with you. Concerned means to be worried. He's not worried. But he's consumed with you, so he'll make it all right if you'll just trust him. So we're going to pray. This team's going to play. This altar is going to be wide open. Wide open. If you need to get to a place where you need to speak truth over your life, if you need somebody to pray truth over your life, if you need to just worship God and get out of your seat, and turn up the volume of worship, to turn up the volume of His Word, rather than, rather than the, the, the noise of doubt, the noise of lies, this altar is here. But please, I'm begging you, church, please, do not walk out of this room and go right back your same way when you have the ability for change. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.